Um, it was a it was a mixed review. the The very groups that we thought would be the most hesitant and reluctant to adhere to our protective equipment and our protocols were actually the ones who embraced it the most and the quickest. So it was, and especially whenever it came to uh, when we got to a point where we were vaccinating, and the company's taken a, a very clear stance on what that approach is going to be. The groups that we thought were going to be the most reluctant to do that, I'm happy to report are probably the ones who have the greatest adherence to getting their vaccines. So we're really excited. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. This week, we continue our look back over the last two years of the pandemic in the U.S. What's changed in workplaces, what we've learned, and what the future may hold. My guest today is Leslie Scott. Leslie's HR career spans multiple industries over more than two decades. Today, she is the Director of HR for North American Operations for Mother Parker's Tea and Coffee, which has four manufacturing facilities and two distribution sites in Texas and Canada. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Leslie. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me. We go back a long way, and I've just got to say, why do I show all the mileage? That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> That's but, because I sleep upside down in a cold, dark cave, just like a there you go. <laughs> Okay, so you're a vampire. We finally know. Yes. Okay, good. Truth is out. Do you remember March 2020, uh, or maybe even earlier for you, uh, when you realized that this whole COVID thing was going to be a real thing that we had to worry about and, and make a response to? So I was actually in Toronto at our home office the week before. And I remember it distinctly because they had the first two cases in Toronto in the GTA, they call it, the day I was flying out. And I had a conversation with our chief operating officer and he said, you know, I think maybe, you know, this is going on in the world. When you get home, let's just have you stay home for a couple of days. You can work from the house. We'll see how this goes and if it blows over. And fast forward two years later, we're still waiting for it to blow over. Right. So I, we had to pivot very quickly because that was the that was the then the first week of March was that next week, and we had ten people across the borders, some on our side, some on their side, and we had to scurry and get people home, make sure that they were quarantining, that they were safe. And how we were going to continue to run the business was the question of the day. Well, and you guys, Mother Parker's is a manufacturing and distribution business. Mm-hmm. What does that pivot look like? You, you people can't, I can't, I can't roast coffee from my house. Uh, so how do, what does that look like for, for a manufacturing environment? So it has changed over the course of the last two years. The very first thing that our leadership and our owners took into account was what we were going to do to keep our employees safe. That was the absolute number one thing. And then it was, can we continue to run our business and how are we going to do that? Uh, 
we did have to have what we call protecting our house framework put in place. So we went into full on crisis management mode. We developed a crisis management team. We established protocols. We practiced what it would look like if we couldn't run the facilities. And this took, of course, months for us to develop and we continued to refine it. But we had to call off all non-essential personnel. So that meant that the people, my counterparts, we all worked from home and we had to continue to run the production and distribution centers, but we had to do it from our houses. And we had to rely on our frontline staff to stay safe and healthy and keep the doors open. So you put together a crisis response protocol, a plan yes. for, for how you were going to do that. Uh, what were the components of that? What, what goes into that kind of plan in your environment? So we developed uh, who could come in, when they could come in, how you would address um, cases if we were concerned about people being exposed. Once they de were determined to have been exposed, what would our protocols be for keeping them out of the facilities? We determined... Uh, who would make those calls? How do we escalate the cases so that everyone is aware of them in a timely fashion and also develop that rigor of uh, maintaining privacy? That was a huge issue for us because the first thing you want to do is send out an email blast that tells everyone, Sally Sue has got COVID. Oh, my goodness. We well, can't do that. Right. Um, and so why you would like to do it for the well-being of the group so everybody can put their arms around her and help her nurture and be better. It's a, a huge privacy issue. So it looked like an evolution over time as we develop that framework. We establish a crisis management team. Uh, then we set into frame, you know, what would happen as a case evolves, as it becomes potential positive, goes positive, and then any exposure. We developed protocol levels. And this is all within the guidelines around what was the Canadian government doing? What was the province of Ontario developing? How is it coinciding or conflicting with the CDC and mm. the World Health Organization? So as they evolved, we evolved. Was there much of that? Okay, the Canadian health, whatever their, mm -hmm. their CDC is, says this, but our CDC says this, because I know CDC and WHO weren't always on the same page. So right. do so you have very to deal with much of that? Mm -hmm. Yes, very early on we did. There were a lot of back and forth of, you know, well, CDC is a little bit more lenient on this or more restrictive on that. So what do we want to fall? We have fallen to whichever is the most restrictive. And in many cases, it has been um, the local region of Peel, which is uh, the version of Tarrant County, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's their regional area, also leaning on the Toronto government and then also the Canadian Health Organization as well. So many times they are more restrictive. And who who did y'all put on that crisis management team? So it's our chief operating officer. There's two there's two levels of our crisis management team, really. It was our general management team, which is our president, CEO, our CFO, our chief operating officer and the head of legal. And then from an operations perspective, it was our chief operating officer, the head of our environmental health, safety and security team, our head of quality assurance, and then myself, along with his CHRO. And y'all continue to evolve what you say, all your plans and, and your responses to different things. So I imagine 
when uh, Omicron caught fire earlier this year, you had to change. So how is that, how has that evolved when you look back to what you were doing, say in you know, July of, of 2020 to today, how different is that? Oh, it's changed dramatically. We went from crisis management calls, we would do mock calls that would take literally hours to address down to now it's second nature um, and how we handle these these uh, cases. We're more fluid in our response. We also have learned how to take the information in and deal with it in pieces rather than Originally, it was get, just trying to get our arms around the elephant. We had this huge elephant of someone having a case of COVID. And now we can really break it down to where did it happen? Where was the exposure? Was it at work? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, then we can handle it more discreetly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it has evolved quite a bit. We have strict legal protocols that we follow internally around maintaining documents, data. We are all now purging our records every 45 days diligently, and we remind each other of that. Um, And what's the reason for that? Just medical privacy, HIPAA? Medical privacy, HIPAA. And and also, I know as you being a longtime HR professional, you probably could search your email and find records about people you didn't even know you had from years ago, right? So we would just let our emails accumulate and accumulate and not even think about that. It's a closed case, so it's out of out of sight, out of mind. That information still resides on your computer. So we have better practices now around purging our own data as well. We also, we not only did it for the individual's privacy, but it's important that we maintain our our cybersecurity, which was part of it as well, and making sure that somebody else couldn't come in and extract the information. You mentioned you had these mock uh, crisis management mm-hmm. calls. Tell me about what those calls were about. What was, is that just like, okay, we've had an exposure and mm-hmm. here's how we're going to communicate? Or tell me, what those, tell me what y'all did there. Yes, that's exactly what we did. We would claim that we were going to do a mock call and you didn't know what it was about. It could be a COVID case. So when COVID first started out, it was any crisis, anything that it would cause someone to stand down or a site to stand down. And so we would go make phone calls from our cell phones. Hey, Mike, we've had exposure. What do we need to do? And you were the plant manager. And so you had to say, thanks for calling, Leslie. I'll call you right back. And you would go call your boss and we'd tell them about it. And then we would gather everybody in a war room and work through the crisis. We have refined that down from a four-hour phone call to a maybe at best five-minute phone call. Wow. It is, we've unfortunately gotten that good at managing our cases. However, it does, it gives us a great deal of pride that we can look back and say we have teams that are prepared to deal with crisis, whether they're COVID or they're not. It could be a fire. It could be water. It could be any reason. But now we understand what we need to do and who we need to call. It's the same framework. So your kind of your uh, crisis response planning previously was on paper and we hadn't really walked through it. And, uh, And I've heard that a lot from employers that 
yeah, we had all that stuff. We, we paid a consultant back in 2014 to update it for us, put it on the shelf, but we never needed it. And then we went remote, not expecting, and we did, was, was pandemic even one of the things you had planned on or that was in your business continuity stuff? Uh, we read about it. We went, wow, that's a really big word. We need to be concerned about the tornadoes. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Because, you right. know, it was one of those things that you would laugh about it. There's no way we're going to have a pandemic. Why would we? A pandemic, it, and we would think of it from a regional perspective. We wouldn't think of it in any way as a global situation. Yeah. How could the same thing that happens in, in Fort Worth, Texas, shut down what's going on in Canada? Correct. And it's the same thing. Wow. Um, so, but now you're saying your emergency response system is more global as far as what might happen. And you feel like you've got, you're better prepared for whatever happens next, uh, you know, zombies or Martians. Absolutely. Or, we're, we're fully whatever. expecting the aliens to show yeah. any day now. So yeah. yes. I'm putting no, my money on zombies, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Zombies it is. <laughs> you're probably right. No, what I think is what it's done for us as an organization is it is built a level of trust because the employees absolutely saw that our, our leaders were walking the talk. They put their employees' health first. It was frustrating. You don't want to hear you can't come in the facility. That's the one thing you don't want to hear. If you're an able-bodied, engaged employee, the last thing you want to hear from your boss is don't show up to work. We think you have the cooties. Yeah, I can see that. And you probably, I mean, I would assume that the size of the operation, you've got some resiliency, but there's probably some key people in your operation on, uh, that if they're out, it really bottlenecks the rest of the production. Or are, y'all so, are y'all's benches deep enough that you can have this, you know, this role in, in the manufacturing side be out for 10 days or more? and and not really impact your production. Well, it's certainly something that COVID has highlighted for us, whether it is our direct personnel that are producing or our distribution teams. We have certainly seen we have gaps and we've been addressing those. So the other thing, you've got you've got employees in Canada, which from everything I understand is pretty COVID cautious and, yes. uh, and, and, and pretty, you know, it's a pretty conservative environment as far as that stuff goes. And you've got operations here in Texas where throughout the pandemic, we were still French kissing strangers on the street. Absolutely. Uh, so, so t- talk to me about, you know, different employee populations and different local cultures and how, how that, that played into the responses you, you had. Well, it, it played into our responses loud and clear. Uh, We did mandate very strict protocols, which we still adhere to today. We have temperature controlling kiosks that we answer our COVID questions. So we went from a paper-based system to electronic, which has helped. That was one of your original questions, how we've morphed over time. But also we've maintained a very healthy um, personal protective equipment protocol as well. So everybody has to be wearing a company-issued mask Depending on where you're at, it could be an N95 mask, but it is most likely our, your standard hospital mask, the six-foot socially distancing. So we did take the cues of the local governments, but we are still certainly in Fort Worth, managing as if we're all in Toronto. Mm, okay. 
So the most conservative, the, most the lowest conservative. common denominator as Absolutely. far as the, Okay, interesting. And it, and it has created some frustrations, but I think people have seen over time as we we track cases every day and we report out to our general management team how many cases we have by location. And we are, knock on wood, this week at zero where we've clipped. Now we track every case, whether it was direct or indirect, and we've had hundreds of them that we've reported. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 35 and enter the keyword Leslie. That's L-E-S-L-I-E. On March 10th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled, What to Do When an Employee Gets Arrested. We'll discuss the policies you need to have in place before you get that call from an employee's spouse that, well, he won't be in today, and how to fairly evaluate whether an arrest has any relevance to the individual's role in the organization. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after March 10th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Leslie Scott. So what is your daily, are, are people checking in daily about any potential exposures or yes. are, you, are you tracking? So is it, you've got an app or something like that now where people before they come to work, answer some questions? Or how does that work? <laughs> I wish we had the app. We, oh, had okay. that, we had that discussion. So people who are coming into a facility, and it doesn't matter which facility it is, they answer questions at a kiosk with a laptop that's mounted to a, a portable desk, and they answer their COVID protocol questions. If there's any particular screening question that they are not able to pass, then, then they're not allowed any further into the building. And each one of our locations thankfully, have have some sort of a vestibule or enclosed lobby area where we can manage people and can contain them. So that has been a benefit. Um, for those that are working from home, we do ask them to report if they have had exposure or either primary or secondary exposure, and we do track them as well. And why is that? If, if For people who work remote, why, why are you tracking? I'm just curious, you know, how does that play into your business planning? We want to know the health of our organization. We want to ensure that if we have a great number of people that are working from home in a particular area, if we need to coordinate with our benefit provider or in a with a local government agency, we want to be able to track that as well. And so you, your employees, even here in Texas, pew pew, mm-hmm. uh, are, uh, they've kind of become accustomed to this is the way it is. And did you initially get much feedback or was it uh, or negative feedback or pushback or was it just kind of, oh, this is stupid. And they moved, went, went along with whatever you were doing. 
Um, it was a it was a mixed review. the The very groups that we thought would be the most hesitant and reluctant to adhere to our protective equipment and our protocols were actually the ones who embraced it the most and the quickest. So it was, oh. and especially whenever it came to uh, when we got to a point where we were vaccinating, and mm-hmm. the company's taken a, a very clear stance on what that approach is going to be. The groups that we thought were going to be the most reluctant to do that, I'm happy to report are probably the ones who have the greatest adherence to getting their vaccine. So we're really excited. So what is what is, what is Mother Parker's vaccine policy? So we currently have a testing policy for existing employees. And if you have provided proof that you are vaccinated, then you are not required to adhere to the weekly testing. Uh-huh. And we've set up, you know, confidential mailboxes for each of the locations. There's one person plus a backup that has access to that email box. So it's very secure information. And then we can report out if somebody has not tested or if they tested positive, for instance, and they need to stay off work, then we have a um, process that we we follow for that. We do also have a new employee policy. So we do require all new hires to be vaccinated. And that went into effect in October. And um, does that address boosters too? Or are y'all at that level where you're you're delineating that? Or So that's the question of the day. What, what uh, do we consider fully vaccinated now? Is that a third shot? Is it a fourth shot? What does that look like? So that is what we're currently debating. And if we're going to continue as we see this trend globally, trending downwards, thankfully, how we're going to continue to manage the situation and where do we back off of those protocols and requiring um, the mass every day reporting in. That's It's something we talk about at least twice a week officially, and it's certainly the topic of the day every day. We've made so it a looking, verb. It's yeah, we COVID. Probably. We COVID. What do you do today? Oh, we COVID. Yeah. What do you do? Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. It makes yeah. It's the reality of where we live. Mm-hmm. Um. So looking back, what do you think your biggest success was? What are the what's the thing that okay? This is how we responded, or this is the thing we did that you're most proud of. I would say being transparent to the organization, and that that's a lot of things. That's a, a big phrase. Because we responded first and foremost with protecting our employees, they know that everything that we ask of them is in an effort to ensure their wellness and health. It is not, I want you to wear an N95 mask because I love seeing you uncomfortable for eight hours. It's, I do this for your family and for your health. So I would say our number our number one success is employees understanding and seeing that we are doing things to take care of them. And looking back, what would you do different? You know, you've got hindsight being 2020, what what would you have done different or maybe earlier in the process? Certainly would say the crisis management plan needs to be dusted off. Yeah. That is not something that is a static um document that you never reference. It's not one of those encyclopedias that's pretty on your back shelf. It needs to be something that is a living document every day. We need to take it very seriously. You don't want to go looking for the fire hose while the house is on fire, right? Absolutely not. I think we need to take that very seriously. And, And I believe we do as an organization now. It's no longer part of our customer audits that we have done our crisis management mock work. 
we can check, abs- yeah. yep, check the box. You can actually say we, we do know where all of those tools and the resources are. So your manufacturing, how has the actual manufacturing process changed there, you know, since from what it looked like two years ago, uh, what have you, have you had to make any significant changes to other than the product, you know, the, the safety protocols? Have there been other changes to how you do business? Oh, absolutely. So it starts from the flow of employees where we have, you know, one shift goes in one door and they exit out another. So it's a one way process, mm. if you will, one way street. We have put up plexiglasses between work centers so that people are not only standing six feet apart, but we also have that added protection of their mask and their safety goggles and everything that goes with that and the plexiglass in between them. So I think in some cases people would look at that and say, oh, wow, that's a, that's a little overkill. I, and I don't believe it has been because of the number of cases that we've had is significantly lower than some of other manufacturing companies. You think of all the meat processing companies where they literally mm-hmm. shut down. We have not closed any of our sites. Oh, wow. And I believe that is directly related to the immediate precautions that we put in place. So you saved, I mean, that that alone, not having to ever shut down, saved the company Absolutely. A fortune, I would guess. Yeah. Absolutely. We we paid people to be off. If we knew that you were going to have to isolate for a period of time, we were paying people. It's it's we're asking you to stay home, and we're going to pay you to do it. So we helped soften that with employees as we um, rode through certainly the the crest of the crisis for sure. Um, from a manufacturing perspective, we didn't really change the fundamental components of how we manufacture. We didn't change equipment. I think we changed how, you know, we clean off our work surfaces. You know, at first we weren't really sure how COVID was transmitted. So everybody walked around with sanitary sanitization wipes and, you know, and gloves. And we felt like we were in a surgical room all the time. We had external providers come in and would do the sanitizing for us and employees that made them feel good. They knew that, you know, when the Ghostbusters were done, all, all of the the bad, bad vibes were gone. So we have not changed our fundamental manufacturing practices. We've changed how we work from a health and safety perspective. The, um, your employees talked about your employees and, and the appreciation that in the confidence that they seem to have that you you were acting in their best interest and, and communicating well. Have you seen other ways that employees' expectations of the organization have changed over the last two years? When we're hearing about the great resignation and and all these other issues, what are you seeing from your your employees about what their expectations from the employer employee relationship are? The expectation is, is that we maintain transparency and we do it at lightning speed. You know, at first we were very careful to ensure that we would go out onto a shift on, on the shift and explain we've had someone who has had to call off for COVID. And so if you've had close contact, we're going to do this very rigorous close contact investigation. We used to broadcast that. And now it's speaking with those individuals very quietly and individually. So we don't create that angst and that frustration and people, the nervousness, if you Mm -hmm. will, within the team. So we certainly learned that. 
but what they expect is they want to hear that we're doing something. I think it's no different from anything that we've talked about since the beginning of time. Employee surveys, for instance, if you're going to ask for input, you have to give them feedback. And that's what they've continued to ask for us is communication and being very transparent. So we've maintained that. We, we tell people we have no cases this week. Or, you know, we have, if we have that uh, unfortunate situation where we have to bring in somebody and say, we believe you've had close contact and we're going to go through this whole investigation who you've talked to, we want you to know you're safe. Here's what we know about this. So we try to provide as much information as possible. And I think the employees really want to hear that. Um, I would say from our salaried folks, those that are working from home, our sales team, marketing and other areas, they like the exposure that they have with the CEO. Now we have um, monthly virtual town halls now, and the employees really like that. They like that level of communication. Has the great resignation impacted uh, you guys? Like I've heard so many other companies uh, say that, you know, all of a sudden we look around and, Everybody's looking for something better, right? Different. Yes. Unfortunately, we we have all been impacted. What are you hearing yeah. there from employees about what's driving that from 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 y'all's perspective? By and large, is they just want to they want to change. It's certainly when we do exit interviews, I've heard more than not we appreciate everything you've done to take care of us. And I know it sounds like I'm giving you a sales pitch, but we really have done that. And, and when we hear that from employees as they're leaving, it's the opportunity to continue to work from home forever. Um, we are, by nature of what we do, we have to have people in the facility and being in an operations environment, you have more of a traditional approach of, you really do need to have your people in the facilities whether it's a customer service representative who can work from home. And so we have developed flex policies to um, people who we need to have in the office all the time. So whenever somebody is leaving us, we ask that question, why are you leaving us? And in most cases, it's, I'm getting to try something different. I've had a number of uh, colleagues that have reached out to me and they're going into completely different areas that they've never worked before industries. They've never been exposed to before and people are just tired. Yeah. Well, and I think two years, yeah, Mm -hmm. two years of being a, you know, not being in a position to change. Sure. And and just general exhaustion often, I Mm -hmm. think, and I think a lot of people are going to regret, I mean, I've already heard it from, from people that I know, oh yeah, I jumped jobs because I was frustrated. But frustration and anxiety are not the things to be driving my career decisions. And and right. and so I'm, I'm hearing some buyer's remorse out there from some folks. And then some folks are like, oh my god, I'm so glad I'm gone from that organization. So you know, oh for sure, time. absolutely. Yeah. So what about talent acquisition then? How are you filling these these roles? What do you what do you are applicant? Are you hearing from uh, candidates different expectations than you used to hear? 
uh, are you, what kind of challenges are you having on filling your roles? So we do have those challenges of the expectation of the flexibility, which we have internally. We've, we've even talked about that when we're having our engagement conversations or weekly one-on-ones. It's will, when we do go back to the norm, will we be able to maintain that flexibility? Do I have to go in every day? Do I really have to put on hard pants every day? Really? And you can't, you can't just say categorically, absolutely not. You have to go into the office. I've been doing my job quite well for two years. Why are you going to make me change now? And candidates want that same flexibility. They want us to say, yes, we're happy for you to be able to prove that you can can do your work and do quality work. I don't really care where you do it. Um, we're hearing that they want to understand how the organization has responded to the pandemic. What have you done to be um, your social your social responsibility? That's really a big deal. You hear that a lot. Okay, interesting. And so, so you mentioned uh, the uh, the future. What do you think it holds? What do you think uh, six months or a year from now uh, things will look like uh, in your environment? I don't know that they're going to be too terribly different from today. I've had the fortune of of being in Fort Worth, which you know, as you know, we've a bit of a gunslinger, like you said, we were still a little too affectionate. Um, but I think that helps temper the other side, which is we're still afraid to even go out in public. I see in six months that we will be going back into a more normal environment where people are able to come in. I'm hoping that we're going to be able to get away with taking the masks off at some point. It is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. Especially in, and, and it's not, I mean, in a manufacturing environment, y'all, especially where you're roasting coffee and things like that, mm-hmm. I can imagine there's, you know, you probably got humidity. You probably got, you know, some heat. Oh, absolutely. It's, probably, it's, not, it's not 68 degrees in, in your manufacturing facility. All the time. Right. And so we're all wearing safety glasses because we have hearing protection, eye protection. And oh, yes, mm-hmm. now, by the way, I'm going to make you put on a mask too. So you know, being able to alleviate some of that restriction would be would be very nice in six months. Seeing us go back to having weekly meetings where we can be in person. I am can't believe I'm going to say this, but I can't wait to actually get back on a plane and be able to go see my coworkers in person. I can't wait to hug on a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and my employees are glad that they don't have to have me hugging on them all the time. Right. So. Yeah, they, they can busy. work without me walking by and saying, hey, what's going on? How, how was your weekend? Uh, right. You know, they, and you stop they, and chat for 15 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Our productivity is definitely uh, higher that I, now that I'm not exposed to my employees on a regular basis. <laughs> I find that well, hard to believe, Mike. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's all the time we have, though. So thank you for joining me today, Leslie. Absolutely. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. And as always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of any service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, keep your chin up. <laughs>